what's your favorite scary movie? Ours right now is the Scream franchise, and we watched all four of them on episode 86 of the podcast. Cue the music. Welcome, everyone, to the Entertainment Buffet Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Brandon Presek. And I'm your other host, Jessica Quaz. And uh, as we said in the opening, we watched all four movies of the Scream film franchise. We figured Halloween, what fitting time to watch through this franchise and just break it all down, rank them, talk about it, how it uh, has proceeded. Before we get started, wanted to throw out uh, some plugs real quick. Please check out Entertainment Buffet on YouTube. Uh, If you're listening on YouTube, check out some of our other videos we have there. We have sketches, other podcasts, plenty of content that are coming to this channel. Um, We have other creators that have signed on and going to be providing a wide variety of content. So don't miss out. Subscribe right now. Check it out. Um, And uh, if you're listening to this podcast, not on YouTube, uh, please rate, review, subscribe, all the things. I mean, you listen to podcasts clearly. All the podcasts ask you to do those things helps with the algorithms helps us get out to more audience members so we'd really appreciate it and you could always reach out to us on social medias uh, if you would like to give a suggestion for an episode so jess uh where can they find you if they want to tweet at you on twitter and instagram i am at jessquaz j-e-s-s-k-w-a-z-z i am on both way too much so <laughs> I will see and have conversations with you very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> and you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Brandon Prostag. Like I said, please reach out to us, guys, or reach out to Entertainment Buffet on Facebook, Twitter, um, anything like that with episode ideas. You know, we're getting close to 100, and, you know, we still have plenty that we want to talk about, but we also want to talk about things that you guys want to listen to. So let us know. Some other very exciting news to announce is that we have been nominated for two awards for the discover pod awards two awards two awards so we are up for people's choice podcast and we are up for best tv and movie podcast and both have so many insane podcasts in our category we are up against the office ladies we are up against (laughs) uh fake doctors and real friends i think the name of it is which is zach braff's podcast with the cast of scrubs um uh, <laughs> so that's wow 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 and then we're for the people's choice we're up against actually two of like my favorite podcasters so that's really insane um but yeah if you want to vote for us and show some support we would really appreciate it so you can find the link to where to vote in the show notes i'll put them in and also um on our social medias entertainment buffets twitter and instagram and my personal Mm -hmm. twitter and instagram you can find the link there so if you go there um yeah we would just we would love a vote and also vote early for the election go do that vote for the election and then come back to your home 
and vote for us. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, vote vote in the election first. Yeah. That's way more important. That has implications of many proportions. Totally. But uh, <laughs> then, when you have free time after that, vote for us for those podcast awards. Entertainment Buffet, like just said, in both the People's Choice and Best TV and Movie Podcast. And, um, you know, I was excited, obviously, when we got these nominations. But then, like you said, looking at some of the other people that are in there, like I see Kumail Nanjiani and Emily B. Gordon's podcast on there. And just so many that I was like, oh, uh, (laughs) I feel like when you walk into a party and it's like a bunch of people you don't know or maybe some you've heard of and you're just like, am I supposed to be here? Right. And everyone's (laughs) just so much cooler than you. You're like, oh, God, do I fit in? Yeah, so like Jess said, we're going to put the link in the description, uh, whether you're watching this on YouTube or uh, Apple, Spotify, whatever, look at the description. There's going to be the link. Um, Jess, do we know the deadline for voting? Yeah, so November 6th is the last day to vote, so please hop on those links and vote for us. We'd really appreciate it. But... um... Yeah, Jess, uh, I know this is one of your favorite franchises, and uh, you're obviously a huge horror fan, as we all know. Um, so when was the first time you saw these Scream movies? Was it when you know we were younger, uh, like when they were first coming out? Um, were you allowed to see them in the 90s? <laughs> so I, it's interesting because I actually was such a wuss about what I watched for majority of my life. Um, and I did not do well with horror. I, it was like one of those situations where I was like exposed to a little bit of horror, like way too young. Um, like I remember this isn't a horror movie, but just like a sidebar real quick. I was like five or six. I was super young and I had a babysitter and the babysitter, yeah, I was, I was, um, supposed to be in bed and I remember the babysitter had rented on VHS Independence Day and they waited till I went to bed <laughs> to watch it but I for, uh. I for some reason came out of my room and came downstairs right when it's the scene where the um the doctor is being choked out by the alien in the fog room and he's like <laughs> and I was like ah! And I like freaked out, and and so just like things like that, I would I was exposed to like really intense horror moments when I was younger, and I hated it, and I was so terrified of it. And then when I got older, I think like nineteen or twenty, I you know was at film school. I loved a movie so much, I still do. And I realized like the one genre that I was not well versed in at all was horror. So I finally was like, we're gonna do a deep dive, and we're gonna see the classics. And so I finally <laughs> saw Scream in that area area of my life probably i think um and i saw the first two and i loved them and then i saw the third and not so much (laughs) Um, (laughs) and then yeah the fourth one came out probably not too long after i like discovered my love for horror and i was really into the fourth one um back when we did our uh, top 10 favorite movies scream one made my list um for sure yeah it was kind of encapsulating like all the franchise though because really like i literally watch this franchise once a year when i was watching um <laughs> scream one my boyfriend came out and was like you're watching scream again and i was like <laughs> i am <laughs> um i just i, I like I it was like surprised right right and i'm like yeah of course i am what are you shocked about um <laughs> 
<laughs> so yeah, I just I love them so much, and I just find so much joy in rewatching them, even though I've seen them all so many times. Um, well, except for three, but we'll get into that. <laughs> yeah, I um. So obviously, I'd heard all about these movies. I think I, uh, yeah, I saw the scary movies probably first. I think I did too. Uh, yeah. Which like I think a lot of the things you know that we're going to talk about that became runners throughout the series, like they obviously poke fun of in the scary movies, uh, which was going to be the original title for the Scream movies, uh, ironically. And um, yeah, it was around 2011, 2012, was also at film school. And uh, my one roommate at the time was obsessed with the Scream franchise. Um, I believe Scream 4... Um, probably either just came out or uh, uh, it may have come out on DVD. So it was probably like later on um, after it's, you know, run in theaters and such. And um, I watched at least most of like the first three. Uh, I think there was parts I kind of missed because, you know, I wasn't paying attention or was multitasking, maybe working on schoolwork. Um, And so I think like maybe 15 minutes of four uh, but for the most part, like I hadn't really seen these since then. So it's been a solid eight, nine years. Um, I remember enjoying, you know, a good portion of them. But uh, we'll obviously talk specifics on each film as we get into them. But uh, yeah, uh, once I saw them, I was like, okay, this is a franchise that I love. It's making fun of horror movies in a lot of way. It's poking fun at things. We're going to talk about that, how it's it's very meta series. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I thought it did a great job at blending one moment. It'll be kind of funny and, you know, you're not sure what's going to happen. And then another minute, it'll be very brutal. Um, so uh, it was also... You know, I had a lot of friends who were huge fans of what uh, they even joke is like torture porn, you know, like the Saw movies (laughs) or just like really gross movies that like I haven't seen any of the Saw movies. I know some are good, but I just it's not my deal. I don't really want to just see gross things just for gross sake. Um, Whereas like this, there was actually like plots and character development and, you know, uh, actor. Uh, performances that I enjoyed when I saw them so this is a series that I've always enjoyed and uh, yeah it was very fun to watch Uh, (laughs) I watched all I think you did the same thing I watched all four of these within probably 48 hours it was was a lot of a lot of scream right in a row I'm pretty sure the one night I watched the first and like almost all the second and then like the next day like finished the second and most of the third and then like you know like just Within a very, very short amount of time, uh, all four of these movies. So uh, it was quite a lot right in a row. <laughs> I did the same thing, but I was like so into it. I was like, these these rule. I don't care that this is my life for the next two days. Like this is, they're wonderful. Except, yeah. except for three. don't worry we'll get to it but uh let's go ahead and jump into the one that started it all we're going to be going in order um obviously spoilers uh so go watch the scream movies they're available on amazon to rent that's how we did it uh so go check them out and uh, uh you know pause this watch that come on back um and yeah uh let's let's just dive into the first one the one that started it all Okay, I mean, well, we got to start from the top, and the beginning is just it. (laughs) The infamous opening, infamous opening scene. Yes, the infamous opening scene. For those of you who don't know, um, Drew Barrymore 
is in the opening scene. She was marketed as being the star of it because she was Joe oh. Barrymore at the time. I mean, she was huge. So she is in all the posters. She's in the trailer. I mean, people thought she was going to be the lead. Interesting. I didn't know they did that with the marketing. I figured like it was shocking because she was a big name, but I didn't know they marketed her like she was the lead. Yeah, so if you go back and watch the trailer, um, it's, I mean, it's so hokey because it's a 90s trailer. It's ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) But um, they definitely marketed it as an ensemble with Drew as the lead. And they were really genius in how they did it because they really just took like short clips from that opening scene and kind of like put it a little bit in the trailer. So it doesn't give away much, but it definitely lets you see her like freaked out. But again, it's yeah. Drew Barrymore. She was the biggest name in this movie at the time, probably besides like Courtney Cox because of friends, but like she was supposed to be it. So yeah, it was even more shocking when people went to the theater at the time and what was supposed to be their star was murdered right away. <laughs> so that is, it just fascinates me. Very brutally too. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah, which I watched some videos on some of the behind the scenes, and you probably know this, you know, because uh, you're such a huge fan of the series. But the fact that the infamous scene where Ghostface like stabs her right in like the chest, um, ratings for this movie obviously like, oh, it's too violent, and da 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 da. So he he <laughs> he told them he's like, well, that's the only take of we we have of it, so <laughs> we have to use it, and they're just like, okay, and like her hanging from the tree. They, like, took out some frames for, like, the quick zoom in because, like, that was the only way they'd let him do it with the rating was, like, oh, well, you can't show it as long. And so they just took out, like, every other frame and it looked speed. Like, it looked like an artistic choice, uh, but it was all this stuff was around the ratings and the violence. So it's it's funny how <laughs> Wes Craven was able to kind of um, – make these choices with all the pushback that they had. Yeah, and it turns out really well. Like you said, everything in it does look like an artistic choice, which is really funny. Um, And I got to say, too, like you said, it is very brutal. I would argue it might be the most brutal death of the whole series. And it's only for the fact that when she's, after she's choked and she can't use her voice, she sees her parents and is mm-hmm. so close to them physically and tries to get their attention to save her. But they ultimately don't. They can't hear her. And for me, that is horrifying, being so close yeah. to being saved and you're just not. Um, it just ah, like kills me when I see that part where she's trying to talk to them. Um, and I got to say, too, like, I again, I've seen it so many times, but the one line where she's talking to Ghostface on the phone and he asks her for her name, and she goes, why do you want to know my name? And he goes, because I want to know who I'm looking at. Ah! <laughs> it gets me every time, because there is nothing more uncomfortable than like being looked at and stalked, and you have no idea. Like, ah! it, it just kills me. It kills me. You know, when the scene starts, I had no idea, because like, she tries to you know, say, like, oh, well, my boyfriend's on his way. And... At first, I thought she was just saying that as a way to, like, scare him off, saying, like, hey, I'm not alone. Uh, but it's like, no, he actually is on her way. And he's just like, oh, well, I already have him. And he's, like, tied up in the chair. And it's like, oh, fuck, you know, like, like this is this is definitely not a prank. This is very fucked up. Yeah, you're, it's like, she's not going to be saved. That part alone is also really brutal. 
in that like, oh, a man's coming over, I'm gonna be fine, you're gonna leave me alone, and then he's tied up in a chair. And his death also, I feel like, gets overshadowed. His death is also really brutal. Like, all of a sudden, he is just gutted. Yeah, well, and I think the thing that was interesting is because she... Obviously, uh, most horror fans, you know, we, we start yelling at, like, what the characters should do. And obviously, the first thing I was trying to say was, like, call 911. You know, like, why isn't she doing that? And, um, but it's like he kept calling the phone line, and so she couldn't. And obviously, this is 90s, and not, not everyone has cell phones. So it's like, well, if he has the line tied up, then... Yeah, <laughs> there's nothing she can do. So and it just shows you the, the the big differences between what how this would happen nowadays versus back then. And uh, you know, only twenty thirty years ago, uh, whatever it is now. And uh, yeah, it uh, was a brutal way to start the movie. And I think the fact that they use that marketing to try to make you think that she's a lead character is awesome. And uh, I think it shows right away that this is not, um, you know, not just going to be like a comedy movie and not cheesy. Uh, but the one thing that I noticed, it, it kind of happened in this scene. And it's it's going to be a reoccurring thing for like people who are ghost face, which is that it's just a person. You know, it's not like a superhuman thing. It's not like a dude with like knife hands or like a big muscular dude. It's just a dude with a knife in this outfit uh, that is freaky looking. But when whoever's ghost face like will run uh, and like is trying to attack, whether it's Drew Barrymore or like anyone in these movies, the fact that. They're not like perfect. Like they fall, they stumble, they get knocked over, like they get punched, kicked. You know, it's like they're, <laughs> they're clearly not perfect. And I think that was one thing that stuck out to me in these movies is especially like when one of the heroines would just like just punch him or knock him down the stairs or whatever. And just like it looked funny because it's in this, <laughs> you know, this ghost face with this black robe and to see him like flailing all over. It's like, oh, yeah, he's not. He's not some like six five jacked muscular dude with a machete. It's just a dude in a cloak. Right, <laughs> can be anyone. Yeah, and so that <laughs> that was one thing I think that got me was uh, her, you know, trying to fight him off, and everyone tries to fight him off. It's not just always like stupid deaths. Like I'm looking over here. Oh my god! And then like they get killed. It's like they put up a fight, and that's something I thought was realistic, and also made it more scary and brutal. Because you don't know if people are going to get away or not. Yeah, absolutely. It makes it more fascinating and kind of draws you in. Because you're like, oh, oh, girl, yes, run. Uh, but, oh, fuck, he's right behind you now. Like, it, uh, it's way more interesting to have a villain that could be fought off. Because it does sort of, like, bring, like you said, bring in some realism. And also just makes you more invested because there's a chance that you could get away. Um, mm -hmm. And I think going back to the the beginning, I just think... It was so genius again that they marketed it in the way that they did. And marketing is just, like, not done like that anymore. Everyone kind of tries to just throw out all the cool stuff in the trailer. And it turns out to be, like, the whole movie sometimes. Um, yeah. But it also, for the movie itself, I mean, just the shock the audiences must have felt is insane. And it right away raises the stakes so high. Because mm -hmm. it's like anyone can die. It, this is what we're getting into right away. Um, and it just yeah. sets a really intense tone that like, yeah, anyone, any of us, <laughs> good luck. <laughs> 
Yeah, because yeah, we have no idea who this character is. We're just thrown into the situation, and they're both killed. And she's like, "Oh, okay." Um, and then that's where it's like, boom, scream! You know, we jump in uh, to meeting Sydney. And one thing I gotta ask, and mainly because I I know we've both seen this before, but to me it's been so long. Like I remember who Ghostface was, but in one of the first scenes. Isn't the boyfriend Billy Loomis creepy, like right off the fucking bat? Okay. <laughs> and for yes. like all of the movie, like maybe it's because I'm looking at it in like a 2020 lens where it's just like, I feel like that stuff may have been like cool or suave back in the 90s, but nowadays everyone would be like, no, this guy's a fucking creeper. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, like, I have some mixed feelings about this because, yes, he is a creeper and he's like, really manipulative and he's kind of a bully like he sucks but like young skeet Ulrich is such a babe like i don't like i every time i watch it i'm still just like damn i was wondering if that's the thing i was like is it just distracting because he people find him attractive he's so is attractive the... and he's also grown up so attractive too like he's a real daddy now but anyway that's besides so if the you're point. gonna be you're, if you're gonna be creepy you gotta be attractive he, that's just a prerequisite i mean yeah watching it now at my age and in this year like I definitely am like, oh, yeah, no, I wouldn't put up with that shit. Fuck no. Get out of here. But the first few times I watched it, I didn't see it that way. Um, so it's really interesting to, like, specifically look for his manipulation because he, he is pretty much a villain throughout. But he has, mm-hmm. like, Skeet Ulrich also plays him with this weird, like, like this weird sociopathic energy where he's, like, charming and, like, pretends to be innocent. But it's really just, like, a ploy to get you to trust him. Um, so I find, I do find it like interesting that like, yeah, he is really creepy on paper and you can clock it, but there was also something like weirdly likable about him. I don't know. And yet, really, I mean, I don't know. I saw, I, I felt that way. Like the first few times I saw it, like I didn't really track like what a fucking awful person he is. Um, so I don't know what that is. I do think it has to do with, again, Skeet Ulrich just flat out being pretty. Um, (laughs) and the way he plays it too, where there's like this, like a sociopath, there's like this charade of being like nice and normal. Um, but then if you look deep, it's actually like real manipulation. Like, and he plays it a lot. And, and obviously, like you said, you're watching it the first time through. I don't think you notice it, but knowing the ending and watching it through the second time, even eight, nine years later, I'm like, wow, they really lay hints the whole movie that it's either Matthew Lillard or Skeet Altridge, you know, Billy Loomis or Stu. It could be one or the other. Um, obviously, there are other people. It's like, oh, well, is it uh, someone totally different? Is it them? I think someone wonders if it's Randy. You know, the people throw out all the, it's like, it's supposed to be obviously like a whodunit. Like, who is it? But... The jokes and the things that they say, like, the whole time. Like, I know they're in high school and, like, kids are dark and say very inappropriate things because they're not grown up yet. But, like, the thing, like, Matthew Lillard in one of his first scenes is, like, making, like, a joke about, like, oh, he got gutted and, like, this, this, this. And I'm like, okay. Like, does no one see that one or both of them 
uh, if they're not ghost faced, like they're, they're just fucked up. <laughs> like they're fucked up. And why are you friends with them? Is it just because they're attractive? <laughs> right. I mean, teenagers are also, they're teenagers. Teenagers are dumb. So like, I don't think you pick up on manipulation and uh, psychopaths when you're like 17. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, but it's also, it is really interesting because yeah, watching it when you know who it is, there's, they just tell you like they tell you so many times but it's like for for some reason the first time around you just don't see it coming um for like a few reasons it's set up very interestingly like um like for instance there's a scene where randy just calls out billy to stew in the video store that randy works at and he's just straight up like yeah no Billy's the murderer. Like, I don't care what anyone says. <laughs> he definitely did it. And he also says, he literally says, because um, I think Stu brings up uh, Sydney's dad, who's also, like, missing. We don't know where he's at. Is he doing it? Is he pissed off? Whatever. And Randy literally says, no, just wait. He's the red herring. Like, he literally says the term red herring in reference to Sydney's dad. So he's literally just, like, saying it, but also, like, the way that they have Randy's character talk about movies, it's in such a way that's, like, so over the top and kind of nerdy and ridiculous that it's like, okay, Mm -hmm. bro, calm down. Like, you've seen too many movies. Um, Yeah. When literally he's also saying it the whole time. (laughs) Well, and... What's interesting to me is obviously like pretty early in the movie they you know they 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 pull Sydney into like Ghostface calling her attacking her you know kind of her getting away and um I guess it feels like everyone is like so fixated on like how it's related to Sydney and and how it's related to um like what happened to her mom they're kind of like sprinkling in like what happened to her and such it's like everyone just forgets about what happened to drew marymore and her boyfriend you you know it's because to me i'd be wondering it's like look like yes it could be billy it makes sense that why like he would maybe go after sydney but why did people kill (laughs) drew barrymore and the and the boyfriend you know like what was it just to first for Stu and him as like a practice kill you know or was it just like a a mental game because like (laughs) Uh, she sat next to Sydney in the one class, you know, I don't know. It just, it made, it was interesting how it's like, we have this really compelling, awesome opening sequence, but then pretty, pretty quickly we move on to the stuff with Sydney and therefore forget the stuff from the opening scene. It's like, yeah, that was brutal. And everyone is aware that there's a killer out there, but now everyone's just relating to like, how is it? involved with Sydney specifically. Mm-hmm. Well, I think um, they were friends, too. Like, not only did they sit next to each other, but Casey and uh, Sydney were friends. So I think okay. there was, like, a little bit of, like, really close a to connection. home. Yeah, like, and killing people around Sydney. Um, but you're right. Like, we don't really understand the motive of that one specifically because, like, it was it like, their first go-around, let's try it. They're home alone. Let's do it. Or was it calculated? And I think not knowing is honestly a little more terrifying because it's like, oh, you just psychos. <laughs> you just doing <laughs> stuff. Like, you just murdering people. And we don't really know why. Like, it, uh, it, like that freaks yeah. me out more than, like, so, a motive, I think. One thing that they kind of also throw in there is they have Henry Winkler with a weird character. Yes. Where he's like, 
defending of people, but he also seems creepy. And so I feel like they were trying to make you like, is it him? You know, because he complains about like hating kids or whatever. Like, is he just like killing children because they're shitty? Um, But then like they kill him. And I was just like, oh, I totally forgot about Henry Winkler's involvement in this movie at all. Yes, Like that, that was just such a, thing that was omitted from my memory i remembered like a lot of things from this movie but i forgot about his character in it whatsoever and the fact that he gets killed i even like wrote in my notes i'm like oh shit i forgot he died yeah i mean i all, i don't know why i always forget that henry winkler plays the principal in it i don't know what that is like it's like every time i rewatch it i'm like oh yeah <laughs> Hey, <laughs> I don't know why, but like maybe because his role is small and maybe because, yeah, like his role doesn't, I don't, I don't want to say bring much to the table. Like he doesn't add a ton to the plot. So he's a little like forgettable. I don't know. It's just like this weird thing where, yeah, I always forget he's in it. Then he pops up and then he's like really weird. Kind of like, I mean, just like a little creepy, but also like a good principles sometimes like it's just like this weird thing and then all of a sudden yeah he just he dies and oh okay (laughs) okay (laughs) all right (laughs) yeah um very odd just i I thought i'd mention that because it felt like one of those deaths that i was just like okay is that like there's more stakes but it just it, it confused me um yeah so as the movie's kind of going on, they're kind of breaking down all the stuff that's happening with Sydney's backstory with her mom and like Cotton's wrongful or potential wrongful imprisonment. Like Gail is kind of like throwing those things at, um, throwing those things at Sydney. Just like, did you get it right? Cause like there was just the bloody clothes and like, maybe you didn't see him right. And, um, I was like, okay, Hmm. You know, I I liked that this was kind of like a background thing, but it wasn't like the main plot, um, because I think, you know, as as you've continued to see like crime and like wrongful imprisonment, things are so popular with like podcasts and different, you know, crime TV shows and whatnot and documentaries, especially in like docuseries is that um, having this kind of as like a B, you know, C subplot. I liked it. You know, it felt a little bit, I don't want to say ahead of its time, but you know what I mean? Like it, it, it felt like it, they didn't like overdo it, but they also, uh, put it in enough to where like, I was curious. I'm like, well, is he involved in like the mom's death? Right. And it's really interesting too, because in the first one we hardly see cotton. I think we see him like once in a newsreel, and it's interesting yeah. too because it's Leif Schreiber. Like he's just like was <laughs> Yeah, there's like he's known people in this movie, which I think that was something big for the time is like horror movies didn't get they weren't like all like A listers yet or anything, but they get names or people you recognize. Oh, for sure. I mean, Nev Campbell was on Party of Five at the time. She was huge in the nineties. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and Courtney <laughs> Cox was uh, just starting friends. Like this these were big pretty big names but like it's interesting i don't know if like leave schreiber like i don't know when his career blew up i don't i'm not too familiar about that but it is interesting that in the first one he doesn't have any lines we see him being brought into jail um and it's on news footage and so he's just kind of this like interesting like background thing um 
that only really like Gale is fighting for. So you don't really, you don't even know what to think of that because first of all, Gale's like, I could get an innocent man out of prison. That would be great for my book sales. Like she doesn't really, <laughs> she doesn't really care about him. She cares yeah, about Yeah, like, she the seems story. a little bitchier in the beginning. I know, but I love Gale. I love Oh no, her. I do too. But I think that's, I, I think I remember reading a thing that that's why Courtney Cox was interested in playing her because like she was playing the sweet character on Friends and then to play kind of like, I think she even said, she's like, I wanted to play someone that was a little bit of a bitch. Yeah, <laughs> and you can tell too, like Courtney Cox throughout the whole franchise has so much fun playing Gail. You can just tell, like she's into it, which I think makes it more special. But yeah, it, it's interesting because like Gail also adds this level like of intensity to the whole situation because she's running around trying to get the story, trying to get the answers. Like, she's like, on it, on it, on it. And it almost, like, we feel a level of heightened anxiety through her trying to get the story so hard. Like, she's trying to get into it. And so I think she's also yeah. interesting. And, yeah, the fact that she drops, like, the little seeds of, like, what about what about Cotton? Do you really think he did it? And now all these things are happening. Um, but, yeah, it's not really a huge focus. It's just, like, a really compelling background thing happening yeah one second do i smell smoke <laughs> sorry one second okay yeah <laughs> do you want me to oh. Oh, she smoked down here before she left. Okay, I was like, okay. I was like, I was like, what? <laughs> um, I will have to wrap in a couple minutes here. So if we if we want to continue on with the first one when we get back, we can. Um, uh, what else did I want to bring up real quick? Um, oh, so yeah. Uh, as far as like talking about Gail. Uh, I also enjoy her character. I like that it's not just all about, like, the friends, like, the main, like, like yes, it is about, like, her and, like, Tatum and Randy and, you know, Billy and, uh, like, it is about the friends, but also there's this Gale character. And then there's also Dewey, you know, and uh, who's a deputy. Uh, so it's, like, you get kind of, like, different realms of this thing. And I think it they they're kind of it is like an ensemble piece. Like they are brought together well. Uh, so I j enjoyed that there was a variety in the storylines and it's not just all high schoolers. Yeah, absolutely. It makes it more, I don't know. It feels bigger when it's just not high schoolers and there's like adults in the situation. Although adults is like loose because Gail and, and Dewey are really interesting. Cause like, Okay, David Arquette was only 25 at the time of making this movie, which blows my mind because I, like, he has a line where he... He's looked at, he, he looked at, for at least a few of these movies, he looked the same age. Yeah, so, like, there's a line where he says something like, I'm I'm not a kid, I'm 25. And I was like, you are not 25, sir. You are so old. What are you talking about? And I looked it up and I did the math and I'm like, whoa, David Arquette was 25? That's super wild. You look... And, not that <laughs> yeah and courtney cox was probably what 30 yeah i think so but she looks great too like but what yeah what gets me is like at one point gail a, a news reporter and dewey a deputy show up at a high school party where everyone's drinking <laughs> underage and it's not problematic at all like no one seems to have like an issue with this it. not even like dewey and gail are like oh my god we shouldn't be here 
No, they're just like, hey guys, we're crashing your high school party. Right. <laughs> what? <laughs> You're a deputy. Yeah, that... yeah, like Dewey maybe makes a little sense. I bet a lot of them kind of knew because he was the older brother of like Rose McGowan's character. But yeah, like Gail being there and him, it's just like, especially because he's in like uniform, it's just like, wait, that's not what? <laughs> <laughs> So it seems like pretty early on, like there's like this little tension, like obviously Dewey, I think, isn't a fan of hers because of like the book and like what she, um, I think, you know, he seems like not like super close with Sydney, but like the families are obviously close in some way uh, through his sister. And so there's like a little bit of tension, but then um, it seems to flip pretty quickly to like them being into each other, which... You know, obviously, we know that these two people married and had children in real life and were together for quite a while. And I think only a few years ago got divorced. But um, I don't know. What did you think when we were first watching this? Like how quickly they jumped into they're together? Yeah, it's super weird. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't see like Dewey is such an interesting character in the whole thing because he's like has this like really innocent kind of likable personality but he's so Mm. also so incompetent like (laughs) it's ridiculous which i do also kind of like like having our quote-unquote male hero be like kind of derpy (laughs) like um yeah but it's also it's just so interesting like because gail and dewey while i like that they are together they're not necessarily a couple like i root for i'm not like yes dewey gail couple goals like i like <laughs> i'm just like yeah okay whatever they're fine like it's so interesting i cuz like i don't i don't really i don't know how i feel about it like i'm like yeah they're they're good whatever but i'm not like in love with them together also like it's just yeah. like all right two people found nice love during all this time okay yeah well there's there's plenty i'm gonna say as it like they actually progress into like a relationship and such throughout the series but it felt like this one in particular it was just like okay so we, we got there pretty quickly right um you know maybe they didn't know that it would be a runner throughout the franchise but uh yeah i just want to get your thoughts on that for now because i'm definitely this is something i took notes on uh to see how it developed So one thing that obviously we were talking a little bit earlier about Billy kind of being creepy and giving weird vibes, but, you know, some of us were distracted by his looks. Uh, (laughs) To me, where I was totally not on board was later on in the movie, and I I think this was after he had already been, like, accused of being Ghostface, is where he pretty much said that, like, he... uh, Sydney should get over her mother's death, uh, and like he was upset because like they haven't had sex, and I was just like, Wh- "What? Like I know you're a horny teenager, but like her mother only one year ago was raped and murdered, and you just say get over it? <laughs> what? It's like um, she died a year ago tomorrow. <laughs> like it's not even been a year, bro." Um, right? Yeah, so, uh, yeah, it's really bad, and it is a major red flag, but again, it's like, teens, teens are silly, and they're in love, and they <laughs> say things they don't mean, but, like, also, watching that, knowing what he is, he's, you know, the killer, 
um, or one of the killers. That's a perfect example of, like, sociopathic manipulation that he has. Because in an earlier scene, when they're talking about having sex for the first time, he's like, no, 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 we'll wait, no rush, no worries. And then he, you know, comes out with, like, hey, I want to do this. We should, are we, are we going to do this or what? But he does so in a way that it's, like, it's her fault. Where it's, like, well... I've been patient. I've been waiting. Yeah. I've been a good guy. What's your deal? Um, and then, yeah, like, he says this awful thing about how, like, just get over your mom's death. <laughs> and she's like, excuse me? And then he's like, well, I'm just saying, like, my mom left me and it took me a while, but I got over it. And I'm like, I'm, I don't mean that, like, your mom's death doesn't matter, but it's been a year. So it's like this, like, weird manipulation that he does where he says awful creepy things and is just an asshole but then he can spin it to be like oh no 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 i didn't i didn't mean it like that you're taking it too seriously like he's he's like the original gaslighter over there yeah yeah (laughs) i i I knew like when this was happening too i was just like okay not that like in the 90s this behavior would be okay but i feel like especially now that we're older and like looking at it from a lens of like not being high school age. It's just like, yeah, this is very problem problematic. Yeah, it, it really is. And it's, it's just like, yeah, I don't know. Again, I don't know what to attribute it to. If it is just his like looks or like the way that Skeet Ulrich can play him charming at times or, you know, the trope of like the high school bad boy, like, He's emotionally broken. Sometimes he says the wrong things, but he really cares. If it's, like, all those things combined that still make him, like, hidden as the villain, I don't know. I don't really know. Because, yeah, once you see it's him, it's like, oh, the red flags are fucking everywhere. Like, at one point, I talked about how Randy's character in the video shop just straight up is like, oh, you know, Billy definitely did it. (laughs) And, (laughs) like, immediately after that, like, Stu grabs him, and Billy gets in his face and intimidates him. And, like, right away you see their dark side and how, like, tr- like easily they can snap and be, like, yeah. psychos and then go back to, like, being nice boys. But, like, again, there's just something in the way that it's played out where it's, like, he's not – he's just joking around with Randy because Randy keeps calling him a killer. That's why he's pissed off. Like, that's why he's doing this. And Stu's just backing up his boy because – He's calling his friend a killer. It's it's so interesting because, like, every red flag can be played off in this weird sort of, like, again, bad boy teen, like, sort of way, which is gross and disgusting. I'm not saying it's like, oh, he's fine. He's just just misunderstood. Like, no, he's a psychopath. But it makes sense why a teenage psychopath can blend in, sort of, I guess. Yeah. I I mean, it's easier to spot now, like you said, now that I'm almost, I'm closer to 30 than I am, like, high school age. (laughs) Yeah, I guess to me, all these things, like like you're saying, like, we're closer to 30, like, it just were big red flags to me that the first time I watched it when I was, you know, like, 18, 20 range, seeing it now, just, like, totally different lens that, like, I'm sure I thought some of these things when I saw it, but, like, they didn't jump out as much, whereas, like, this is just, like... He's a killer. Why can no one see this? You, you know, and uh, like they really laid it on thick. You know, is this even going to be like a twist? Um, but I, I did enjoy. For the most part, like when it comes to like Sydney's character is when she's almost attacked and then like all of a sudden Billy's just there and then like the phone drops out of his pocket. 
I like how they, I could see in other films that the, he could have like maybe talked her out of it. Like, no, that was just a coincidence. And then like, they would have written probably like the character to be really dumb and be like, okay, you know, I still love you. And then whatever. But like, no, she's just like, what the fuck? Why are you here? And why did this, you know? And she just immediately is suspicious with reason. It was just like, great. She's a smart character. She's not an idiot. Um, and she's sticking up for herself and not trusting this dude. Uh, we don't know how long they've been together at this point, but it's just, uh, that was one thing I noticed. I like they take him away. And, uh, of course, you know, because the twist of it being two people, they're able to uh, have another, you know, kill or attack happen while he's locked up. So it kind of gives him an alibi. Um, but, yeah, I, I just it was interesting how pretty early on he was suspected and then they set up the whole alibi thing to say, like, no, it's not him. So now they're trying to throw, like, a big twist. Like, who can it be? Um, only for, uh, you know, the big twist to be there's two of them. Um, which I... That was the thing I had no idea would be coming, is that it was two people. Um, I guess I don't want to jump quite to the end yet. Uh, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but... One of the last, like, kind of brutal deaths before the, like, climactic ending is happening is her friend Rose McGowan's character, Tatum, I believe is her name. Tatum. Yeah, has the garage door death, which, like, there's a lot of brutal stabbings in this movie. And then this death in particular was both brutal but also comedic. I don't know if it's just because of how it played out, but like, what do you think of this death in particular? Because this is not just the principal. This is Dewey's sister, which I forgot the first time I saw that, that they're brother and sister. Like, I don't know why. I just, I put that out of my mind because Dewey's in four of these movies and Tatum's in one. So right. I forgot, but it's, it's Sydney's best friend and Dewey's sister. And she goes in this way like, oh, it, it felt way more brutal this time around. Yeah, see, I, it's a hard, it's hard for me because I do love the character Tatum. And I think she's just like a great pal to Sydney. She's like so supportive. She calls a lot of people out on their bullshit. Like, I just, I loved her so much. Um, but again, it makes sense for to have her die because then again, it raises the stakes of like, these are people we're really close with. These are people we love. They're dying. Um what I love about her death in particular is that it does what Scream does best, where it blends this, like, camp with horror. So, like you said, like, it's brutal, but at the same time, it's weirdly comedic because she gets the ghost face stick, gets her stuck in a doggy door and she can't get out because of her boobs. <laughs> um, which, like, that had to have been Stu in Ghostface for that, right? So, no, that was Billy. So if you pay close attention, because this was actually something I play, paid a lot of attention to this time around. Okay. Um, so Stu completely sets her up for her own murder because he offhandedly tells her like, "Oh, just like go grab another beer for me in the in the garage." Um, yeah, I remember like, that you know. line. That's why I thought it was him because it was like, but, "Go go get a beer." Yeah, but then you notice that someone closes the door on her from the garage. So I think it was Billy that was in the garage and Stu closes the door on her and locks it 
from behind and then just gets back to the party because right after Tatum's death, like Billy comes around to the front door and starts entering and Stu has this like line where it's Matthew Lillard who is giving it like 110% throughout the whole movie. Um, he has this line where he says, ah, what are you doing here? But it's delivered in a way that's like really coy and like very subtle. If you are noticing it, you can, you can pick it up. But if you're not, it's just like, oh, what are you doing here, bud? But it's, he says it in a way to Billy, almost like, what are you doing here? Like, <laughs> I know why you're here, but no one else does. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, I think it's definitely Billy in the grudge waiting and then Stu sets her up to go there. Um, but yeah, the death itself is, again, it's like this weird blend of, of and a, a good balance of like horror, but also not taking itself too seriously because it is a very ridiculous way to go, even though it's brutal. Um, yeah, like I felt weird laughing at it. <laughs> right, yeah. And I think that's what Scream does best, again, where it's like you you're laughing at something that's horrific and you're finding like entertainment out of it too. Yeah. It does not take itself too seriously. But, yeah, that's a hard death just because, like, I like the character so much. Um, and she's just so good for Sydney as well. She's just a great supporting character. Um, but, again, it's, like, it makes sense because at this point we're, like, really ramping things up. And it's got to it's gotta be someone that, like, we, we really care about and we really are invested in to go. So it's a bummer, but yeah, which the art. The one thing I do have to, I don't want to say criticize, but, like, because, like, a lot of stuff started happening, you know, they're juggling the stuff with Gail, Dewey, Randy, the, the camera guy, Sydney, you know, like, towards the end there, that it felt like it took a while for someone to find uh, Tatum's body. Like, cause like it, yeah. Randy was watching the movie with all the friends and then all of a sudden it's like, Oh, someone said they killed the principal and he's strung up at the school. And like all these bro drunk idiots, like all flee the house, get in their cars and drive away. And I'm also, I was like, wait, how is this house laid out to where no one noticed the girl hanging with a broken neck from the garage? Like maybe it's laid out differently than I'm thinking, but it just made me curious that, we didn't really get to fully, the audience felt it, but I'm like, we didn't get to see like Sydney or Dewey find her, you know, and have that emotional moment because like maybe they were like, all right, we got to wrap this up. We have a lot of shit going on. I don't know. Well, Sydney does discover her. We do see that. And it's, it's in the middle of like her trying to get away from Ghostface where she finds um, Tatum and, and does have a moment of like, oh my fucking God. But you're right. Like I always struggle with the logistics of the house. Like is the garage <laughs> in the back? And like, that's why none of these teenagers are seeing her. Yeah. Like, I, like, I, I don't know. I, it's just odd to me too, that like no one else spotted her beforehand. Like, where is this garage door? Mm-hmm. Um, cause yeah, you have all sorts of people in and out and no, no one sees her until Sydney like actually, jumps onto the roof and falls to get out of away from Ghostface. So it's like, okay, she discovered her and it makes sense for to have her discover her, but it's also like, how did no one else see her? Like, <laughs> where, did, where was she? Yeah. Um, that's kind of strange. You're right. Like that does trip me up whenever I watch that. Yeah, for sure. So obviously, uh we're both film nerds. You're more of a horror nerd uh than I am, but uh I loved Randy's character, you know, I think it was a good dynamic because you have, um, like, the best friend, you have the best friend's boyfriend, the boyfriend, and then, like, you have Randy, who 
you know, is kind of like the comedic relief. Um, but I also had no idea whether he would live or not because of the fact that there's the scene where like Ghostface is right behind him and he's like watching the movies like don't go in there you, you know and he's like yeah. drunk and I'm like oh come on don't kill him <laughs> I know that's another like just really funny and campy scene in the movie where he's talking to the character who's about to get killed in Halloween and he's like oh come on he's right behind you <laughs> Ghostface is literally right behind him yeah and he's be he's unaware of it as well just like the character he's yelling at. And that is, I think, very fun. Um, his life is spared because Ghostface uh, runs out real quick to get someone else. Um, yeah. But but I, I also, I really do enjoy the character of Randy. I think he's a wonderful comedic relief because he's also just that guy. Like, we all know a guy like that. So it's not out of the ordinary to have this character, like, spewing out movie facts and being like, like, it's not... It's like, it feels real. Like, I, I definitely knew that kid in film school, like, for sure. Yeah. Um. And I love to, one thing that is, is is something that plays out throughout the whole franchise, even uh, when he's not in it anymore, which we'll get to eventually, because I have thoughts on that. Yeah. Um, but he has these, uh, the rules of horror movie, where he's talking about horror movies, he's also very into horror movies and, and how they're plotted out. Which, and real he, quick... Almost the entire main cast, like of characters, is super into horror movies. Like they all start talking about it, like they're just talking about like the hero's journey, you know. But they're talking about horror movies, where I'm um, mm-hmm. like, which I get it, you know, is kind of the deconstruction. Like we're making fun of horror movies while doing a horror movie. But I just found it funny that it wasn't just Randy. Like it's it's Sydney, it's Randy, it's Tatum, uh, Drew Barrymore. In the opening scene, was a fan of horror movies. I've seen that movie like twenty goddamn times, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what'd you think of that in like Woodsboro? That it's just like, is this like a a horror community? <laughs> you know. I, I, I like it. I think, obviously, it's like a micro version of this, but so many people do watch horror movies. I mean, not just during Halloween. Like, Midsommar was incredibly successful for an indie horror. You know, how think about how many people saw Paranormal Activities when they were coming out. You're I mean, right, like, you're right. It's like, it, it's funny because it's like a whole town that just happens to be really into horror. Mm-hmm. But I also, I like that too because, again, it's done in this kind of compressed way. Um, and it's like, I, I, it's just interesting to see a movie reference its own genre so frequently as well. Mm-hmm. Um, because it kind of thrusts itself in that genre by referencing all of these movies. Um, so I, I like that they all kind of are into it. However, they're not as gung ho, not so as like Randy is for it, where he, Works at a video store. (laughs) Works at a video store. Talks about Prom Night 2, which is like, oh my God, who has seen Prom Night 2? Like, um, you know, just, and then at the party, he starts spewing out like, this is how you survive a horror movie. Like, and he, he has his three rules in this movie, which I find really funny because they do sort of play out a little bit, but... Number one is you can never have sex. He literally says (laughs) sex equals death. And while that's happening, uh, Sydney and Billy are having sex for the first time. And she doesn't end up dying. But she does end up having sex with her mother's murderer. So, (laughs) 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 Um, and then, 
and then two, you can never drink or do drugs. I mean, all of these characters are drinking pretty yeah. much, and, and they're getting it. And then three, you can never, ever, ever say, I'll be right back, because you'll never be back, um, which Matthew Lillard plays around with, which is really funny. Um, so yeah, I like this bringing in the horror tropes that we all know and playing around with them and actually like literally bringing them into the dialogue, like saying them just to kind of mess around with you. It's just an interesting thing that it does to an audience's subconscious, I think. Um, I just, yeah, I really do like Randy. I I really (laughs) do. I I love him a lot. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Um, which, yeah, I was, I, I also found it interesting. They kind of, it was like offhanded here and there, but also the fact that he was into Sydney and everyone's just like, oh, you're just saying that because like Billy's dating her and you wish you were. And it's just like, okay, well, could he be the murderer maybe because like he's bitter that she maybe rejected him in the past that we don't know about? You know, uh, it was interesting to toy with that. And then I was kind of curious. I was like, I wonder in a future movie if they'll end up together in some way. Because, like, you know, he kind of talked about, like, I think, does he talk about, like, not getting the girl? Or maybe that's the second one. Uh, Yeah, he brings it up in the second one. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I I, I, I enjoyed Jamie Kennedy in the role. Um, I think it was a great voice to have, uh, to purposely have someone specifically calling out the tropes while having them happen. Um, I was really afraid he was going to die in the first one, but uh, he doesn't uh, for now, Uh, (laughs) uh, which, you know, I guess that's leading us up to the end where I also thought that Dewey was going to die. Obviously, I think I saw pictures of him being in later movies, but like, I didn't know, you know, for all I know, the later ones could have been a prequel. You know, I didn't, (laughs) Yeah. you know, the movies have done weirder things or he has a twin. We didn't know about it. So, I mean, the fact that like, I thought he was going to die. I didn't know if, if Gail would die, you know, or Randy. So like they were kind of the ones that I didn't know would survive. And it was a pleasant surprise that it wasn't just Sydney. Yeah, and I think that that's also some of the genius of the first one. They really did set it up so that it could be anyone. Like, anyone could die. And so that makes you more invested in these characters. Like, who's going to live? I hope this person lives. And then it's either uh, you really feel the death or you really feel the triumph. So I think that that's really fascinating. And again, that goes back to Drew Barrymore. They right away were like, anyone can go. Yeah. Have fun. <laughs> like, um, So I do, I like that... Um, playing around with that. I like that we get more survivors in Sydney because then it feels like a more communal experience, if that makes sense. Um, and yeah, as we can talk about this later, but I do enjoy seeing these other characters around more because then it just feels like, I don't know, like seeing old friends. It's like, oh, cool. You're still going. You're doing okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <It's> good. <laughs> but I think that's leading us now to the the big reveal that it's not only Billy, but it's also... Um, Matthew Lillard's character, uh, Stu. Stu. Yeah, Stu and Billy. And, um, you know, they reveal that they have, like, the voice thing, which I'm kind of glad that they didn't just, like, try to say, like, oh, we, we just do that voice. It's like, no, like, that's how they both sound the same, as, like, they have a voice thing, um, for the guy who's the voice actor. Um, yeah. It, and that's another thing. Sorry, I was just gonna say. And that's another thing that's really interesting in terms of the twist because 
if you remember when Billy was arrested, Sydney gets a call from Ghostface. And so we don't know that it's a voice changing box. We think it's just one guy with that voice. Yeah. So it makes sense why she gets that call and is like, oh, it, fuck, it's not my boyfriend. I just pinned it on him because she gets she got a call from this guy's weird voice. Yeah. Also, just real quick, it has like right in that moment, it probably has one of my favorite lines in the whole movie <laughs> uh, because it's the 90s. Um, but they look at Billy's cell phone data to make sure he's not the guy, which just kills me. But uh, <laughs> the why we we find that out because Dewey has this line that goes, "His cellular bill was clean." Like, <laughs> oh, his cellular bill. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> it just gets me. But yeah, so I love. I mean, now we all know. We all know that Ghostface Killer is. Uh, it's a voice box. It's not real, but. That's another fun element of a surprise, too, is that it's not a guy with a weird voice. This is a voice-changing box. Like, that's a big deal for the 90s. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, I think that uh, my biggest... Uh, the biggest... Why I was such a big fan of it being two people was because, to me, it just made it so... I don't want to say more realistic, but just makes more sense how like some of the kills happened. You know, like we were talking about the stuff with Drew Barrymore, like with the boyfriend, like clearly that was both of them there. Um, you know, maybe with the principal too, you know, maybe uh, some of these other ones, like it, it just makes so much more sense um, to do that because then they were able to do the thing where because Billy was in questioning in the police station, Stu was able to go do stuff, you know, and it, uh, I don't think anyone was really suspecting Stu. Um, like he was just a friend, you know, I think Randy's like, Oh, well you used to date, you know, Drew Barrymore. Um, but it's just kind of like disregarded and like they move on. So yeah, I loved the twist that it's two people, you know, it's not just one person that's doing all these things. It just makes so much more sense. But it's also especially fucked up because it's two high schoolers who are doing it. And then just to reveal that, like, they killed her mom, too. I was like, wait, so that that's why you're bringing it up so much. This whole film, it's like that they're 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 really connected, you know, and the fact that like and we'll talk about it more as the series goes, but like. This story thread that, like, quote-unquote, this is not me saying it, but, like, uh, Sydney Prescott's mom was, like, a slut flashing her stuff all over town that, like, she wrecked Billy's parents' relationship and she, you know, later, whatever, and she also fooled around with Cotton. And it's just like, wait, so just because this woman fooled around with, this, pe uh, you know, multiple people, uh, not saying that, like, I'm condoning that behavior, but that caused all of these murders <laughs> right like, yeah, sydney's mom gets dragged through the mud a lot like, yeah wow. and you think about like where the series goes from like first film i bet if you look at the body count of like four films it's just like woof if she just never was found out to be <laughs> right. you know someone who sleeps around like god like the this whole franchise is like built on like slut shaming <laughs> It really is. Like, it's re it really is. Because, yeah, she's originally killed, we think, because she had an affair with Cotton, uh, and he did it. But it turns out, no, she had also another affair with Billy's 
dad and that's what drove Billy's mom to leave and so Billy's all sorts of pissed so that's what really got her dead and then the anniversary of that is what brought everything back up yeah. so it's just you're right it's very interesting that this whole thing the foundation is like a slut shaming moment like yeah um that is super wild but it was I, I do remember the first time seeing it and it was a major twist because Sydney had no idea that her mom had an affair with his dad so it was a very big deal because I also find it interesting when they're discussing motives. Like she asks him like, why? And at first he's just like, I don't know, but like maybe it's better. It's more interesting if I didn't have a motive, but also your mom slept with my dad. So yeah. it's like, oh, so you had, that was a little bit of that. And then you're also just a psychopath who likes murdering. So, okay. Well, and right. then she tries to ask like Stu is just like, well, why you? And then like, he kind of just like, this is where, like, they stabbed each other to, like, you know, because they're going to pin it on Sydney's dad. Uh, and uh, he's, he's like, dying. He's, oh, man, you cut me too deep, you know. And she, you know, takes the voice box and she's fucking with them. And he's just like, oh, peer pressure? You know, it's just like, wait, do, do we think that, like, what do we think why he actually did it? Like, that he was just fucked up and, like they both talked about it and then he was just game because maybe he's fucked up or like, do you think he, I don't know. what do you think about Stu's possible motivation? I think it was the glory of being the quote unquote survivor. Like, uh, cause like, I mean, this is a whole deep, deep, deep thing that we can get into uh, or not. Let's not. But, um, <laughs> American culture loves survivors. They love survivors of any sort of anything. I mean, there's been shows that are like, I survived. I shouldn't be alive. How did I survive? Like, we love a survivor. So I think that played a role in it was not only did he get to do all these, like, in his mind, fun and, like, bad things he couldn't normally do, but he also would get the glory of being the only survivor with, with Billy and... Um, getting away with it too, I think. I don't know. Like, I think he, it boils down to him just being like a very bored teen who didn't, like, he tries really hard to get a lot of attention, but doesn't really get it to the level he wants. Um, And I don't know. Like, I just think he found, definitely found enjoyment in it. But you can tell in certain scenes, like, he definitely enjoys it. Um, And I gotta say too, like, the performance of both of them in that final scene, it still is just incredible. Even when you know the twist, it's still so entertaining to watch that scene and all these years later. Up. <laughs> and up. Yes, yes. And they they perform it very well, where they are so fucked up and psychopaths, but they're enjoying it. Like, they're, you know, it's like this awful blend of, like, horrifying and entertainment because you can tell, like, they're having fun, whatever. Like... It's still so crazy to me to watch themselves, like, amp- get amped up before stabbing each other, where they're like, yeah, yeah, bro, come on, let's do this. Like, yeah. they're pumped about it, and that's crazy to watch, well, like, still. I think it was also, you know, um, the, I think what added to it, but also, like, made it gross, but, like, you know, because at that point, Billy had been stabbed, and then, like, they were going to stab Stu to, like... And then I think she had been knocked around, so she had some blood on her. So, like, there was just, like, a lot. Oh, and, like, Billy's wearing, like, a white shirt. And, and so the corn like, syrup. Yeah, yeah the like corn syrup. So, like, blood. that's right. Um, it's corn syrup, but, like, there's just 
a lot of like blood on all of these characters. <laughs> yes, yeah, and that definitely heightens it during all of this, and then especially when Stu stabs, you know, gets stabbed, and just every like it's blood on everyone, and it's not like gory; it's just very apparent <laughs> that this is real, and as we've seen, like there are stakes and like real violence. So, um, yeah. Um, they also start a joke that's going to be a reoccurring joke, which is like, they think the, the, the killer's dead and then like jumps back up and they're like, ah, and, and, <laughs> and the fact that Sydney just shoots him in the head, like not this fucking time or like whatever, like she, yeah. you know, I was like, Oh, awesome. I love that. It's just like, Nope. Fuck you. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like I'm killing you. It's not uh it's not just like you're going to jail, buddy, you know. <laughs> yeah. I yeah, I love that it's like Sydney that has the final blow for both of them. Um but I also love too that they do play around with like the things we've seen in horror movies or thrillers where it's like, okay, we think we're out of the clear and then all of a sudden like, oh no, we're not. But they like I finish it immediately. Like there's no str- uh, another struggle. Like it's just immediately she shoots him and mm-hmm. he's done. It's just, yeah, it's, I, I don't, and like you said, we see that throughout. I think it's a fun thing to keep poking fun of because we still see that. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so as we were saying, the final survivors are Sydney, Gail, Randy, and Dewey all make it out. Um, yeah, um, it's, like I said, the I think the one that hurt me the most was like, the Tatum death. Cause I'm like, Oh man, that's, mm-hmm. that's Dewey's sister, yeah. you know? And so I think that's why it like makes more sense that Dewey and Sydney out of like all the, like sure. Dewey has a thing with Gail, but like that they kind of have like a brother sister relationship after that. Um, because you know, they were already close in some way, but probably because Tatum got killed. Yeah. And I think again, Tatum is a wonderful character and, not only Dewey's sister, but Sydney's best friend. And also, like, in the first movie, Sydney's a little meek. She's a little naive. She's still going through a lot of grief and trauma from her mom. Um, and so I think Tatum is her voice in a lot of scenarios where she stands up for her and almost shields her a lot of the time. Um, so, yeah, it's like now that that protective layer of a friend is gone, Sydney's got to be on her own a little bit. So that is, I would say that's probably the hardest death for me too, just because I really enjoyed the character and I think she was just, had such an impact on both Sydney and Dewey. So it's really hard to watch them lose someone, but you're right. She also does have like a big, her death has a big ripple in the franchise to come. For sure. Um, So uh, I knew we'd talk about that one plenty because, you know, it is considered the best and what kind of, you know, is credited as uh, I, I was reading, you know, more about just like the impact it had. And it was credited with revitalizing the horror genre in the 1990s, which like oh, yeah. was kind of like I know at that time was a bunch of like direct to video stuff like I was making fun of the last episode, like the Leprechaun movies, you know, like, <laughs> you yeah. know, um, so, uh, yeah, which apparently up until the release of Halloween a couple years ago, it was like the highest grossing slasher film of like all time. Um, which is crazy because it came out, <laughs> you know, in 96. Yeah, that is really crazy, but it definitely does have an impact in 
the horror of the 90s and the horror to come later. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it also has done, like, created this interesting uh, multi-genre, which is, like, horror comedy. Like, now we see those all the time. That didn't really exist before Scream. I don't, like... Because yeah. the 80s, like, 80s horror is so ridiculous and so over the top, but it was taken so seriously. Like, there was no poking fun at your own movie or poking fun at yourself in 80s horror. So I think it did do a lot for the genre and, like, brought it into this new sort of place. Slashers, yeah, became huge in the 90s, which is, like, okay. Um, But, like, yeah, I think it did a lot more than we really realized, like, what it did to our current horror climate as well. Yeah, for sure. But uh, let's go ahead and move on to Scream 2, which only came out, uh, it looks like it was about a year later, only like, which is a crazy turnaround time, which means they must have greenlit a sequel after they saw the results, like, in the box office right away, and they're just like, get right on it, you know, which... Oh, yeah. I was, like, worried because, like, obviously the Scream franchise is going to have its fifth one that I'm like, I wonder how these sequels are going to be. I remember seeing the first time I saw it. Um, But I was pleasantly surprised that Scream 2 is just as good, if not some people consider it possibly better than the first Scream. Yeah, it's really hard for me to say which one is objectively better because I just love the first one so much and I love... Like I said, what it's done to the horror genre, and that's why, in, for me, it's, like, my personal favorite. But they're both so excellent, and they are definitely, like, neck and neck with which one is better. Um, which is rare with a sequel, and that's something even the movie itself comments on, sequels. and Yeah. But it's, it's, it's just as good, like you said, if not maybe better than the first one. Well, one thing that I think helped was, um, this doesn't always happen with movies, is like all the surviving cast returns. Uh, They probably will all signed on to do sequels, but like Wes Craven came back to direct. Kevin Williamson came back to write. So it was like the same team, you know, they were able to just jump right back on it. And I think that's why it was probably easy to turn it around so quickly when like they haven't had to like, you know, figure out scheduling and all these things. Like I bet some of these actors weren't super busy or if they were, it's like, well, we'll pay you more because like we made a lot off the first one. And like the budget was, you know, about looks like about 10 million more than the previous one, which the first one was like 15 ish. So, um, yeah, it was, I, I knew that they came out like both in the nineties, but I had no idea. It was like almost a year to the day. (laughs) (laughs) so um this one has a different opening you know we also start with like a couple that isn't from the original it's a jada pinkett and uh Mm -hmm. that was omar epps right yeah Yeah, omar epps very very young versions of them (laughs) (laughs) for sure yeah it was when she was just jada pinkett not jada pinkett smith Uh, (laughs) and yeah so like they're going to a sneak preview of stab (laughs) Yes, film. this is our introduction to the Stab franchise. <laughs> the Stab franchise, which I was like, I love this. <laughs> it is incredibly meta right away, um, based off the events of the first film. Um, so they set up that, like, tons of people in the audience are wearing ghost face. You know, they have knives. People are running around chasing each other. It's just chaotic. And... 
Yeah, I was like, oh my god, like this would be the perfect place to kill someone because literally everyone's dressed like the killer and mm-hmm. running around with knives anyway, and people are <laughs> screaming and not paying attention. Um, so like once they set the setting, I'm like, oh well, yeah. <laughs> um but like yeah omar epps has like the shocking knife through the bathroom door (laughs) which is like you know something that they also kind of tend to do in some of the other stuff is like whatever these knives that the ghost face killers are using are top notch to go through doors through walls you know like they're yeah heavy duty they're not gonna break for anything yeah those must be like chef worthy you know sharpened knives or something Mm -hmm. (laughs) they are ready but yeah what's what's interesting about this opening is we similar to the first one we get a couple that are both murdered and the guy's death is a little overshadowed by intense how intense the girl's death is yeah um so yeah omar Epps gets stabbed through the ears skull area <laughs> while in the bathroom and then who whoever kills him um takes his puts on a ghost face and just sits right next to jaded pinkett's character and stabs her and there's something honestly so creepy and horrifying about the way she dies because it's in front of a whole crowd at a movie theater. Everyone is watching her. All the eyes are on her. But they don't They don't know it's real. Like, it's even said in a later line, like, oh, like, they thought it was a marketing stunt. So no one helped her. Yeah. And that's horrifying, too. Like, like unlike the Drew Barrymore one, where she's kind of, she's pretty much alone by herself. And this yeah. is happening. She gets murdered in front of a whole bunch of people and still doesn't survive. Well, they're both scared. Like, I remember you you hit the nail on the head on why Drew Barrymore's was so freaky was because she couldn't quite speak, you know, speak so that she could get to her parents so that they could help, you know. Um, In this one, it's kind of the same thing where, like, people are just rowdy and screaming and not noticing things that she's just, like, walking around, like, with stab wounds and like no one's noticing it and i think even one of the times like there's like a crowd person that like gets blood on her and just kind of like looks and is like huh you know is like, uh but probably just thinks it's a prank you know like you said like a marketing thing and it's not until like she literally goes in front of the screen <laughs> and dies in front of everyone to where people start to wait oh oh this is <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's like n- now yeah. it clicks now it clicks right. uh, yeah and this is another way in which they raise the stakes right away from the beginning it's like not only can anyone die but you might not get help even if you're fully in public even if you're fully around people you could still die like <laughs> so yeah the opening now we reset Sydney is at college. Um, she has like a new best friend, Hallie. Um, she or Haley, uh, and she uh, has a new boyfriend, Derek, who's played by Jerry O'Connell. Um, Randy's there, and also Derek's best friend, Mickey, which is played by Timothy Oliphant. So, like, another time where like they get a good amount of <laughs> you know, like known actors. To be in this and then at some point pretty early on we also introduce sarah michelle geller's character um and then obviously uh gail and dewey are there as well um <clears throat> and then we also kind of reveal much like we realized at the end of the first film that cotton played by Liev schreiber 
didn't murder Sydney's mom. So like he's released and he's like on TV and such. And so it's like right away, like this all-star cast of, <laughs> you know, David Arquette, Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, Sarah Michelle Geller, Jamie Kennedy, uh, Laurie Metcalf also, uh, <laughs> Jerry O'Connell and Timothy Oliphant. And also it was just Jada Pinkett and Omar Epps and, you know, Lee Schreiber. It's just like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. It's, yes. I think so. One of the first reasons right off the bat why Scream 2 just works so well is because they kept everything and everyone that we love about the first one, those that survived anyway, brought that back, but then also built on top of that. So we have Cotton back, which is like, we're going to build on that a little bit more from the first one. We got Sydney back. She's now a lot tougher, a lot stronger, a lot smarter. We're going to play around with that. She's got new friends, but we still have the old friends. And it's just, so they, they do it in a way that just blends it really well together where we care about our old characters and we care about our new ones too. Um, and I think that works really well. You also forgot to mention that in this cast of characters, a very young Portia de Rossi plays a sorority oh. girl on campus, <laughs> and she has white what might be like the best line in the entire franchise. Oh ever. boy! <laughs> She's at a party and she goes up to Sydney and she goes, "Sydney, hi." No, I really mean that. Hi. (laughs) It's so dumb and it's wonderful. And I love that line so much. And we also have cameos from Luke Wilson, who in the Stab universe plays Billy. And then Heather Graham, who plays Casey Becker. And then Dory Spelling um, as Sydney. Um, which I think that was like a throwaway line or something was like, oh, Tori Spelling could play Sydney or I don't know. It was like something like that. So just like, what the fuck with this cast? <laughs> it's so fun. Yeah, it's it, it, they get a lot more fun with it, too. Like you said, with having these like weird cameos from people who are in the movie of their life just pop up. Like at one point they do have like someone's watching TV and Luke Wilson as Billy is talking to Tori Spelling as Sydney. And it's just like. The hallway scene we were talking about where he's like, get over your mom's death. And it's just <laughs> done so in a way that's just so overdramatic and like yeah. so funny. Um, so, yeah, we, we're able to have a lot of fun with this one because of the Stab franchise going on now. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I think that, uh, like you said, it kind of like resets like, okay, here's the new boyfriend. Here's the new best friend. Here's, uh, I think the best friend's boyfriend is also Timothy Olvitt. Am I right? You, you, you know, um, the boyfriend's best friend. Well, Oh, I couldn't remember if Timothy Olyphant was seeing that Hallie or Haley or no, I don't think they are. Okay. Well still like the same number group dynamic as the first one. They're kind of just like, here are these new people and thrust into college. And like, I like that right away when like, the killing stuff happens like she's immediately suspicious of jerry o'connell um and like i think rightfully so girl you know (laughs) you yeah and but can i just say like derek is such a good boyfriend like truly like he is supportive and he's protective of her and he doesn't judge like any of her past that she's bringing into the situation and he's not like staying away but he's also like okay we're gonna give this some time until you realize it's not me but like gives her his frat letters or whatever that (laughs) the necklace that she keeps wearing and the third one like i noted that i was gonna bring that up later (laughs) yeah i'm like oh like i just and and he has 
the sweetest moment of the entire franchise, which is when he stands in the cafeteria and th- sings I Think I Love You to Sydney. Which I mean, he's just a good boyfriend. <laughs> which it's so funny you say that because like, I was watching some videos on people's ranking of these movies. And this one guy put Scream 2, I think at the end, uh, like right after 3, like very low. Um, and one of the big things he kept complaining about was the scene where he stands. He's just like, he sings like the full song, like, oh, like this, uh, it wasn't good. And like, da 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 da. Oh my God. And like when I was watching that, I was like, dude, get over yourself. Like this was, you know, it's not the best scene, but clearly it's just like, cheesy 90s, you know, they're, they're, what he doesn't realize is they're doing a rule in movies with either action or horror or like crazy shit's going to happen is you put the characters at a state of oasis so they think things are fine and then you flip it on its head. You know, it's like you show that like, I think I love you. You know, everything's all seems happy and fun. And like Timothy Oliphant is clapping along. You know, it's like yeah. there's just these friends. You have no idea that later on you know what's going to happen to a lot of them right and like that's why it works well too like yes of course it's cheesy and corny it's supposed to be like that's what he's the vibe he's given us and his singing is not good but he's a college dude (laughs) it's not he doesn't have vocal training come on so and again like you were saying too like it works because we we get to see them like have fun and be like nice kids and i think it attracts us more to them it's like oh well i care about these people they're fun they're cute um so that yeah when shit starts really really hitting the fan we think of moments like that that we like them for where it makes one again their death harder or their survivor um feel more earned or you know all these things it works to have like a scene like that like I, I I love and I hate that scene so much, but it's like, again, he's just a good boyfriend. Like, he's trying to prove his love without being, like, shoving it down her throat. He's like, okay, like, I definitely didn't kill anyone, but I'm going to let you, like, figure that out on your time. Like, it's fine. Like, he's just, man, justice for Derek. He deserves so much better. <laughs> justice for Derek. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, like I said, I, I, I'm glad they jumped right into suspicion of the boyfriend and also suspicion of Cotton. You know, because, like, even though he didn't kill the mom, he would be possibly pissed at Sydney because he was put away in jail for a year because of her. Uh, Which also, like, Cotton is a weirdo. Like, he's oh, yeah. not the murderer, but he is, like... Like, I get why people think he's a psycho murderer because he's a weird dude. Well, like, it, and it doesn't weird. help, and it, it, it kind of makes me think of that show, Making a Murderer. It's like, well, people were calling him a murderer for the last year and he was in jail for murder you know and i think that could take a a psychological toll that if he was already like on the edge of being a weirdo now he's going to be a full-on creep um because he's you know uphill battle for the rest of his life and can i just say also like it now that we've had some distance and it's 2020 now like the fact that he was only falsely accused for a year it's like bro get over it like <laughs> only people, a year <laughs> only a year people like spend their whole life in jail for crimes they didn't commit yeah. until they're you know sentenced to death and then we're like oh shit it was actually that guy like fuck like a year you have the rest of your life to make up for it you're fine yeah. like get over it <laughs> which i think they could have made that but i know they made the whole it being a year since her mom's death part of the yeah but yeah i get what you're saying too um, so I'm glad they jump right into the su- suspicion of both those people. Um, but uh, 
pretty early on. Uh, so one thing I wanted to bring up was uh, I'm going to talk about it in each of the movies is the Gail Dewey stuff. So um, this is like Gail's character has spun her book into like these stab movies, right? And like Gail is not happy uh, or no, excuse me. Dewey's not happy with Gail because like I think in the movie and like the book um, made Dewey kind of dumb, you know, made him out to be like this goofy dumb guy. And like, he's mad at her now because of it. Um, they don't quite say if like they for sure tried to date after everything or what, but like, so they start right back where they did in the first one with like conflict. And I'm going to talk about this in the later films. Cause I feel like they just, this particular storyline, they just keep resetting is like start the movie that they have some sort of conflict. Um, in addition to, you know, the murder conflict. Um, so I don't know. I was curious your thoughts on that, how like they came together in the first one and then broke it apart and then through this movie come together again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, I, I think a lot of that for me boils down to the fact that they are just so different, like fundamentally different people. Um, so it does kind of make sense that they have this like love for each other, but there's also this conflict of them like pursuing who they are as people. And again, like, I, I fucking love Gail. Like, I love what a bitch she is. I love that she's like, <laughs> I love her. I love everything about her. I think she's perfect. Um, but yeah, it kind of does make sense that like, she is a cutthroat reporter. That's who she is. She is ready to like, stake her claim and like get her shit get her accolades get her money yeah but sometimes she gets too into that to the point where yeah like that wasn't the greatest thing but like you said it's it's something we kind of see again where she kind of has to keep learning how to be a better person (laughs) um well yeah and like you're saying she gets so into it like uh the it was after the death of like Jada Pinkett and Omar Epps that like, she's like on the phone. I think it's one of her first scenes back in the movie. And she's like, cancel the movie. You're kidding me. Like, this is going to be great for sales. She definitely does that a lot where she goes hog wild. And then is like, okay, well, I guess I got to reel this in a little bit and just be a human. Um, so it is interesting to see <laughs> because like, in. We get this, like, sense, again, from her of, like, urgency and, like, we got to get this wrapped up. We got to get this, we got to get this figured out. She's the one that's coming in who's, like, we got to get this figured out. No matter, even if it is for her own personal gain, like, she does add this intensity of, like, we have to figure this out right now that Dewey definitely doesn't bring. Dewey's, like, well, we got to protect everyone, whatever. She's the one that's always, like, we got to get this together um, and I think that that's what I appreciate about her intensity as well. Also, for those of you keeping track, this is the movie where her hair has, is dark with red highlights. <laughs> I was almost going to say, because her hair is so drastically different in all these movies. So different. I was literally thinking that. I was like, okay, like we we're keeping track of the Mission Impossible movies. Like Tom Cruise is this old. It's like, all right, Courtney Cox's hair was like this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This, like, we can tell which movie it is just by seeing a screenshot of her. Yeah. Because she had um, like the red hair in this one, right? Yeah, so she has, like, the dark hair with a lot of red highlights, which is so fucking of the times. I can't even... Like, all of Gail's hair is so of that time. It's ridiculous. Like, 
that's what that's what it was. Even her stupid bangs in three, it's like, well, the early two thousands were trash when it comes to trends and fashion. <laughs> so it makes sense. Like, but yeah, so this is the one where she's got the short dark hair with a lot of red highlights. <laughs> uh, well, so one of the early deaths on in this movie uh, that we I knew we were gonna have to talk about was Randy gets killed. Which I even saw that like critics and like audiences, well, not critics, but like audiences were very upset by this. Um, So I had to get your thoughts because you've known the series so much more than me. What what are your thoughts on Randy getting killed? Um, Like it is shocking, but also pretty early in the movie. You know, he's nowhere near the third act. Like this is either beginning of act two, you know, it's like somewhere in the middle. Like it's, it's, it's shocking where it took place in the movie. I hate it. I hate it all <laughs> so much. It's honestly like the, for me, it's the worst part of two. It's like the one major thing I fucking hate about two. Um, because not only do I hate that he dies, but I hate how he dies. Um, because it's like you said, very early on. Um, and he dies off camera too. So he doesn't even get like this fun glorified huge horror death that like a fan of horror kind of deserves like him he gets a really lame cop-out where he's like pushed into a van and then we're told he dies so it's also incredibly forgettable as well compared to all the other deaths like oh you you remember oh yeah he's not around so he's dead but like you kind of forget how he died um so that's also incredibly lame i also just really i really like that sydney and randy stayed friends in college yeah because it also just felt like randy like yes there's gail and stewie yes there's gail and dewey but randy was in her friend group randy knew bill and stew billy and stew just like sydney did and so it was like these two friends who are you know she, he gets it. He gets what Sydney's been through. He fully understands. So I think it would have been nice to keep him in the franchise because it's like again, someone who has her back, someone who he has, she has his back. Like that was a fun relationship, and also like he was, he's a funny character. He's a fun dude. I think he would have just been a lot more fun to keep him in and like yeah like we were saying what's interesting about scream is that it's like anyone can die mm-hmm. but it's like well that doesn't mean they have to die you know <laughs> like god damn it i think it would have been way more, like i was talking about portia Durasi in the movie her and like the sorority girl uh characters are always together they're like really ditzy they're really dumb and they bring some humor to it like this is weird to say but i think we could have had a lot more fun with like if they got murdered, because they don't, they they're fine, they're good, they just pop up. Yeah. Um, I think it would have been a lot more fun if like the main sorority sisters were murdered. I think that that might have been more entertaining. We could have done it in, like similar to Tatum's death, where it's like campy but like intense. Randy just gets shoved in a van. <laughs> what the <laughs> yeah, fuck? I mean, like, yeah, we have the Sarah, Sarah Michelle Geller death, um, but like, yeah, it is shocking because. Randy's the one who is the voice that's like he's like the meta voice of like talking about horror movies and talking about all the rules and like now in this one him and Timothy Oliphant's character they're both in like film study and they're talking all about sequels you know and they're talking about uh, like sequels suck and like this 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 so it's like the commentary then is about that and also a big thing about this one 
which is probably based on reactions from the first one, uh, was violence. That, uh, I forget when, but this, I think, was around 97 or so, where people started pinpointing like video games and movies to being so mm-hmm. violent that that's causing the corruption of youth. You know, I know that this was around the time, you know, in the nineties was like mortal Kombat. The video game was super popular and like, it was gruesome and like movies like this were happening. So they talk about that in the movie numerous times. Like it's a big theme and thread throughout. It's not just like offhandedly mentioned once. Like they discuss it in film class and then they discuss it later and it'll come up at the end as well. So I thought that that was interesting that their first film probably had this. um, And this controversy for being like, Oh, you're making kids all fucked up. And so they're like, no, um, and I'll bring up another point about this later when we get to the killers. Um, the fact that it's such a big part of it. Yeah. You know, I, I was like, wow. Like, really putting, like, themes and thoughts and, like, actual, <laughs> you know, story and commentary to a slasher movie? Right. And that's what's so, yeah, it's done so interestingly because it's, like, just film nerds. Like, a film class is talking about it. And... They know what they're talking about. They're film buffs, so they can get into that conversation. My favorite is, so, like, right after the Jada Pinkett Smith death, we get to, we cut to a scene with, like, Sydney, and then after that, we immediately go into this, like, film theory class, and they're all talking about the death at the movie theater, and, like, what does that mean for violence? And the teacher says, like, he insinuates, like, does violence in movies lead to this? Is this an example of that? And Sarah Michelle Gellar just goes... That is so moral majority. I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> yes, queen. Um, but yeah, it's like this interesting conversation of back and forth in that scene specifically because we have some people saying like, yeah, and then what's interesting too is Timothy Oliphant's character is like, no, like, he's just like, I don't know, like, psychos are psychos, like, whatever. Um, also, like, what's also really interesting too is that... um Joshua Jackson from Dawson's <laughs> Creek is in the film class. And that's, yeah. that's one and only time we see him. <laughs> yeah, someone's, someone joked in a video, they're just like, and here's Joshua Jackson getting some acting lessons besides the Mighty Duck movies. You know? <laughs> <laughs> He's just there. <laughs> uh, yeah, which I was wondering if he was going to be a bigger part, and he wasn't. Um, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed the commentary about all this. Cause I think it's, it's something that's still relevant today. Um, and it's just the fact that horror movies, as we were talking about the first one, were like dying as a genre. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that it's like, no guys, you see, like you can still have something be funny and horrible and brutal, but also like say something. That's why I think I used to hate uh, the horror genre. I used to say, because it felt like they were just like only for scares. Like that was it. There was no point to a lot of the movies that I was shown until I started seeing stuff like this that I'm like, oh, there's commentary. There's actual character arcs. There's fun moments, but also brutal moments. I'm like, oh, fuck. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's another thing that the Scream, this one particular Scream 2 has done for the franchise is that it's made horror to be smart like you can be smart with your horror because again that wasn't really happening before this it was like all for like you know gore and scares and jumps and like oh oh my god um but this allowed 
the genre to become smart and have messages. This one is obviously like really blatant and obvious, which is fun for what what Scream is and what it does. But yeah, it's allowed. I think like we have hereditaries and we have, you know, uses and get outs because this way back when was like, yeah, we don't have to just like stick to a formula. We can be silly and smart. We can say stuff while we're stabbing people. <laughs> it can, yeah. We can have a message. <laughs> there could be actual, you know, opinions and uh, themes and commentary, believe it or not. <laughs> I also like that even though it is a movie with violence and it's a sequel to a movie that had a lot of violence, when they're talking about do, do movies make people violent? They don't settle on like, yeah, for sure, or no, they don't. Like, they're not... That's what's interesting, too, is the commentary is from both sides throughout. Um, and though even though it's obvious that, like... And when we get to the end, we can talk about this more. But, like, there's a full-on murderer who's copying Woodsboro murders, and each victim has a same name in mm-hmm. their full name to the original victims, but people are still like, well, is it because they saw a movie? And it's like, they clearly, no, there's clearly a lot more going on here. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, so it's interesting to see the co- the commentary play out in such a way where it's kind of like both sides, um, but also like you, you read what you want to read out of it. Yeah. So um, pretty early on, you know, the police are like, okay, well, we clearly can't leave Sydney like, alone so like they put two cops on her but they put the two dumbest cops on her can we just say that (laughs) because like there's the scene in the library where like she gets the message on the computer that's like you're gonna die and all of a sudden uh cotton's there and like so the one cop's like ushering her away from the computer and and he's like wait right here and then like leaves her alone it's like wait if you're worried that a killer's here why would two of you go look and why wouldn't like one stay with her and one go look like you, you, I don't want to say you deserve to die, but like, you're not doing, <laughs> you're not doing smart decisions to get out of this. Uh, so yeah, and then I think also the way that their death comes up a little bit after that was one of them was very gruesome, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but the it was just kind of like yeah, you guys are kind of incompetent, so you're kind of gonna die, which then becomes a joke in the fourth screen movie with cops it's like ah oh, cops never make it <laughs> you know it's like well they're not wrong <laughs> yeah i think uh the scream franchise has a good argument for defund the police because they're all incompetent <laughs> and stupid in these movies yeah but yeah i yeah those cops in scream 2 are just so s- silly and stupid because like they know like there's a full-on murderer going around this area like get it together but they're still kind of like oh is it though like are we fine like they can't get get it together um and yeah that leads to one of the most intense deaths i think uh of the movie and that is sydney's friend Haley. i think yeah Haley. Haley or hallie one of those (laughs) yeah sorry um they are being escorted to a safe place they are in the back of a squad car where the doors are locked on them and they have the the partition between uh, the, the front and the back. So when these dumb, dumb cops get murdered, <laughs> um, the two girls are left in the back, left on their own trap. Yeah, which I loved that suspense. But when they had to crawl over her, and I know that it was creepy, it's like, why? Okay. I get it, like, you, you can't, like, kill him, you know, maybe because you don't want to. But, like, why wouldn't you at least take off the mask and be like, who's the one doing this? 
That was like yeah. the one part that I'm like, come on, you know, one of you can like do something like maybe just like punch him again or, you know, keep him knocked out uh, something. But the fact that they just crawl over and they get away um, and then that's when Sydney's like, I got to go see who it is. And then she goes back. I'm like, all right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess like, if Randy was I, here, he'd be so disappointed. <laughs> right. I think the thinking is like if they rip off the mask, it could wake this unconscious guy up. And that's and then they don't want that. They want to just get out. But you're right. Like then. Then they go. She goes back to find him, and that's when Ghostface pops up and kills Haley or Hallie. Um, yeah. And I mean that that is very frustrating because she doesn't get to find out who he is, and now because she tried, she got her best friend killed a little bit. So yeah, which I feel like this best friend was brought into the movie just to die again. You know, like yeah, she had yeah. no arc. She had no real point to her beyond. The body count. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. She was, I would say, a likable character if she wasn't fully formed because she was kind of like in the Tatum position where she had Sydney's back and like fully was like, I'm going to help you. I'm on your side, uh, which is nice to have for a female supporting character. But yeah, like she was, she didn't bring a ton to the table. <laughs> um, and that's why Randy didn't need to die. We could have had all these newer characters. <laughs> Yeah, so um, I also think as we're getting closer to the end, um, when you were seeing this, and I don't know what you thought, like, were there any thoughts that Cotton could be involved for you or you thought he was, like, innocent the whole time? I mean, what were your – because, like, they were definitely teasing that he can be in it potentially. Yeah, I always – I find Cotton to be very interesting in terms of a character because, like, he's been – you know, he's, he's gone through it. Like, yeah, like he was, he was thought to have been a murderer. He was convicted on being a murderer. Then he was exonerated a year later. Now he's like, everyone wants to talk to him. Everyone wants an interview with him. Mm-hmm. And he just wants his name cleared so bad that his behavior towards Sydney is so intense where it's like, no, I need you to go on a show with me and say we're good because people still don't know what to think of me. Um, and so it's interesting because, like, he brings this intensity that I don't like and I don't appreciate, and I think he sucks. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, I'm like, well, he's been through it, so it's okay. But, yeah, I, I don't – the first time watching it, I did definitely think, well, like, they probably brought him back to, like, do something. I mean, he's from Woodsboro. He's pissed off. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and he's a weirdo. Like I said, like, yeah, okay, maybe he didn't murder people, but he's weirdo. Like, he could. Like, I could easily see him as a murderer. So it was, like, a little bit of a red herring, but one that wasn't really shoved down our throat too much, um, but one that was definitely, like, in the background. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, um, getting close to the end here. Yeah, I I think I, I kind of want to get to the the reveal of the killers if you're okay with that. Yeah, I don't think I really have anything else to cool. say. Um So yeah, we reveal that uh one of the killers is Timothy Oliphant, which like very much like Matthew Lillard and uh Billy and Stu's character in the first movie, he's pretty creepy the whole time, you know, like he's um, also a film dude like Randy, but then he's also wanting to do this documentary about her and like, just like some of the things he says that I'm like, okay, 
you're suspicious. And also, like, he wasn't killed, which, like, so many of the other friends and surrounding people were, that I was just like, okay. And, like, it was one of those things that, obviously, I've seen this movie before. I remember it. But in my head, I was like, wait, what was the reasoning again? I don't remember. And so then that's where, you know, he wants to blame violence in movies <laughs> well okay so well there's more we, to it but that's one part right that's one part but before that too what i find very interesting is when it's revealed to be him there's still a little bit of mystery because when he reveals himself as the murderer derek is still alive derek is tied up and oh yeah, yeah 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 and he starts to say that him and derek were partners like he starts being like all right yeah i got it don't worry i did this thing bud like we're good and sydney doesn't know what to believe because she's been through this uh very similar situation and derek's like no like i i don't he's sydney's like making this whole thing up so there's still what's interesting a reveal but then more mystery Mm -hmm. um in that he tries to say that derek is his partner and then he ultimately kills Derek and is like, Sydney, you should, come on. Like, he was such a good guy. Why'd you let him do this? Um, but yeah, his... So what's interesting to me is that even though he says he's um, going to say at trial, like he's going to get off on at his trial, he's going to say movies created violence and that's going to be his, his defense. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's why he did it. I don't think that, that was his motivation. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Well, no, not motivation, but yeah, the fact that that was going to be like, like you said, like the trial, he was going to blame that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I enjoyed the little twist where he kind of teased the fact that it could be the boyfriend Derek as well. Um, and like, I think I wrote in my notes then I'm like, she's never going to date again. <laughs> no, this woman has <laughs> like, to have such trust issues. She's, and understandably so, you yeah. know, Ugh. um, but like, I was like, mm, she's going to be single for life. <laughs> I mean, come on. When was a psycho murderer who killed her mother? The second one was a wonderful guy who just, she didn't trust anyway. And then he dies. Like, yeah, poor Sydney, man. Like, uh, been through it. Yeah. So Derek gets killed. You know, we reveal it's Timothy Oliphant. Um, But then, you know, twist, it's two killers again, um, where one is the kind of supporting little news reporter, Laurie uh, Metcalf, um, who they reveal was Billy's mom. Now, this I was not a fan of. Really? Well, okay. Here's why. Because Billy's mom left him, you know, if she was around or like still in his life, but like Billy made it sound like she was gone. It's like, wait, wouldn't it make more sense for it like to be the dad, you know, because like the dad was still taking care of Billy. I I know she kind of says like some lines, but to me, it just it didn't make sense to me. I'm like, wait, so you love this kid so much. But you leave him. Well, I think it's a little more complex than that. Because, like, we don't know when exactly she did leave him. We just mm-hmm. know it was, like, sometime between the the affair and, like, the events of one. So it could have been, like, a year ago. It could have been a half a year ago. She could have just been, like, I need a minute and just, like, dipped. Um, and as a teenager, he doesn't understand, like, if or when she's going to come back. Um 
But she left because of his dad, not because of him. So even though, like, yeah, she left her kids, I don't think that means, like, she loves him any less. And so it, it would fuck someone up if, like, you needed a break from your partner so bad that you just needed to dip for a little bit. And then while you're gone, like, your son gets murdered. Like, damn, that would fuck with anyone. So I think yeah. instead of being able to look inside herself and be like, wow, a lot of that was on me, she has to blame someone else because she's not playing with full deck. Like, she's just as crazy as him. Well, and here's the thing that I found more compelling um about her character was like like you said we talked this whole time about commentary on blaming the movies blaming video games blaming violent media for making people violent but then she says people blame the parents right and i was just like okay this Mm -hmm. is a totally different thing that you're doing commentary on because it's like now that i believe drove her crazy yes is the fact that you know maybe she left this you, you said she left her uh, her husband. Maybe she just needed a break, was hoping to rekindle with Billy at some point, finds out he's a killer. I'm sure she received a ton of people like, oh, my God, how could you not know? You know, you got to blame mm-hmm. the parents. And, like, we don't necessarily know how long it's been since the first one in this timeline. We obviously know they're in college. So maybe if they're seniors, this is freshman year. We don't quite know. Let's just say it's been about a year, maybe two. Um so I could see that driving her crazy, you know, a year or two of just being uh, in grief of your son dying, but then people blaming you for why he's fucked up. Right. That, to me, was more compelling. So I didn't fully hate it. I just, like, once they brought up that, I was like, okay, you you, you know, you almost lost me, but you brought me back. <laughs> yeah, and, like, also, like, yeah, there's a lot that could be said about that where it's like, wow, yeah, blame the parents, like, shit yeah i mean i do i'm not a parent and i'm like get your kid together like come on um so i get i I get that and like yeah of course that would make her snap when she's already probably feeling like this immense amount of guilt that her child died when she was away from him um i just i gotta say too like laurie medcalf's character throughout the whole movie is really fascinating because like in the first one there are some like red flags about her and she does drop some hints that she's the killer um like, she has this, like, throwaway line where she's trying to get information from Gail, and Gail's just, like, being a, you know, being Gail, and just, like... <laughs> Gail being her. Gail. Also, like, the first time we see Lori Medcalf, she's acting like Gail's super fan, is like, oh my god, I respect you so much, and Gail's just like, alright, get off my back, and just, like, shuts <laughs> her down. So right away, we're not supposed to take this character too seriously, is, like, the idea, because she's just, like, this lame-ass reporter who just loves Gail. Um, but she has this throwaway line later that says, this is before it's found out that the, the Woodsboro, it's being, it's a copycat from Woodsboro and that it's the victim's names. Yeah. She says, um, well, it just seems like that if the killer was repeating Woodsboro, then the killer may be from Woodsboro. Like she's the first one to say that. And it's like, oh, she's just telling us who, who she is, but we don't know who you are. Okay. Okay. Um, and I just think, too, the reveal of that is just so exciting because of the way Laurie Metcalf plays it alone. Like, she 
Her, both her and Timothy Oliphant were so good at switching on their psycho right after it's revealed. Yeah. And and in the same way that like Billy and Stu did too, where right away they have like snapped. They are different people. They aren't making any sense. They're psychos. They're talking like grandiose. And um, you can also tell that the actors enjoy playing them too. Like they're having fun with it. Um, that yeah, the the twist again is really fun to watch because of these two actors playing it out. Um, because they do so in a way that's like super engaging, um, and I do, I do like that. Uh, it is Billy's mom also because we've heard so much about her in the first one that it's interesting that in the second one we completely forget about her. Truly, like we don't really remember Billy's mom. Um, yeah, we just hear offhandedly. It's like that's why my mom left. You know, we never yeah. see a picture of her. We never hear her. So it's just kind we, of in the yeah. background. It was like this background issue of the first one that we forget about in the second one. But once it's revealed, it's not just like out of thin air. It's like, oh, yeah, we heard so much about you. Like, hello, it's you. Yes. So it is an interesting twist. And I do find the way, again, that like they introduce the character as someone like, don't take her seriously. She's just like this crazy reporter. Um whatever like that what also is what made it compelling to me and the fact too that like she says in the ending the twist ending that she went to she found someone who wanted to be who was a serial killer already um and so she found timothy elephant's character yeah like found him online <laughs> yeah found him online you know killers are us you know, you know the dark web got myself a killer and and <laughs> and funded his his murders and his yeah. escapades into stabbing like and that's an interesting thing too like it's very dark because then it plays into this whole thing of like you don't really know anyone like your best friend is actually not here for college he's just here to murder people and like have fun with it like yeah that's horrifying <laughs> which made me remember like timothy oliphant and and sydney really only have like one like they're group scenes but there's one scene where they're in the police station and um you know that she's like sitting there upset and he kind of comes over there he's just like we're here for you sid you know, yeah. like it, it's like there's just one that's like, you know, kind of a sweet moment that looking back at it, like, yeah, it is extremely creepy when you finally know the big reveal. But then <laughs> um, Laurie Metcalf kills Timothy Oliphant, you know, pretty quickly. Just like, ah, shut the fuck up. Like, I'm not going to I know. She's just go. Is like so over him. This is like, all right, well, bye. <laughs> yeah, no, like, whatever. I convinced you to do all these things, but like, I really just want my revenge. Yeah, like she's just over his ass because... He's kind of annoying to her and just shoots him, calls it a day. Like, that is, I think that's funny, too, because, like, it's unlike Billy and Stu. There's no sort of, like, commitment to each other. They don't, they're not friends. They, she hired him. He did his purpose. All right, bye. <laughs> yeah. So, what did you think? Because that one video of the guy who made fun of the I think I love you scene also made fun of the fact that, like, this climactic scene was, like, on this stage like i think the backdrop was cool but like made fun of the fact that like sydney like hits these ropes and like knocks over these fake rocks and then like like scares her with like lightning and whatever that like i i see both sides like i could see someone being like really this is cheesy but also i was like i don't know i you know i like it more so because i look at the fact that it's like sydney Getting the upper hand, being a badass, not just being like a damsel in distress. Like she's a, 
you know, a surviving character in a horror franchise. And um, also it's kind of like she's conquering her fears. And also she was in the play that like the backdrop happened where she had that scene, which, oh, was totally freaky where like everyone was in masks um, and she's acting, which how would the director realize that that's not wildly triggering? Right? What an asshole. I know your mother was murdered by a man in a mask, and then you survived a man in a mask killing you, but I'm going to put you in the scene with tons of people with masks. Yeah. You're just going to have to be a good actor about it. And she's like, I don't want to do this. And he's like, I don't have another understudy, so it's got you got to you got to get together, girl. Yeah, I okay. First of all, I need to talk to this YouTuber. Um, we need to have a discussion because clearly Homeboy doesn't understand what Scream is. Because yeah, oh like it's campy, it's cheesy. That's what it's doing on purpose. Like yeah, it's it's like so it's. It's come on, bro. Like, come on. <laughs> you, come you just on. like short circuited for a yeah, second. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> I don't know how to describe this to you. If you've seen cheesy horror '80s movies, they take themselves seriously. They're not doing that on purpose. Scream does stuff on purpose. So, like, yes, it is cheesy that Sydney is like doing all sorts of things with like theater equipment to get him. But at the same time, Scream goes there with like over the top ridiculousness at times. Um, but they do it in a way that's like exciting and interesting like sydney like you said stars in the play she's a theater major she knows how like what all those things do she knows how to use them as weapons she's being resourceful but Mm -hmm. she's just doing it in a way that's like over the top and like ridiculous like throwing set designs at this guy Um, yeah and that just makes it more fresh as opposed to like if this was just back in a house and she just had to beat his ass like okay that's we've seen that like i don't know like i that doesn't bother me at all. In fact, I find it to be, like, fun and kind of silly, but also, like, yeah, she's getting it. Like, she knows how to hold her own. Yeah, and so that's why it worked for me. I leaned towards that because I was like, well, she's in the play. She's conquering her demons, and she's trying to put to rest this thing that she thought she got over, like, a year ago. Um, so, yeah, it was it worked for me. Um, they do another one of those fake-out things where, like, <laughs> where Tim the Elephant jumps up like he's not dead and they shoot him in the head again. Mm-hmm. Um, also, uh, they have a part where, like, Lee Schreiber comes and kind of helps save the day uh, for uh, Sydney. And um, so, yeah, end of the movie, we have uh, survivors again, which is Sydney, Gale, uh, twist that Dewey survived because, like, he was kind of off screen. We weren't sure, which, yeah, he survives. And then Cotton. Yeah, <laughs> like they're the survivors, which I wasn't sure if Derek survived, but then I was, and then I realized I was like, oh no, he's he's still hanging up on the thing, no. and like, <laughs> no, poor boy, poor baby boy, he was so good, he was such a pure pure boy. Ugh. It really hurts me. I'd rather have Randy back, but like Derek is sad. Derek is very sad. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Uh, Scream 2, Scream 1, clearly these are the top two uh, from the franchise. I think that, you know, for me, I think Scream 1 was obviously revolutionary in certain ways, but then Scream 2, I think, did something, like we said, that is very hard for sequels to do, which is, like, continue the, 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 continue the tone, continue the story, 
um, brought character, uh, brought actors back, brought director and writer back. You know, it's the same team. It was made only a year in. Also had so much commentary on violence in movies and media, and then even that part about violence blaming the parents. Um, to me, that's why it's like such a toss-up because there's so many things I love about one, but then two also has this commentary that I'm like, man, like, like, like you said, this this lame YouTuber that was hating on it. I was just like, dude, but you're you're hating on very base level things where it's just like, no, they're they, they're, these movies are smarter than they need to be. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I mean, and there's even something to be said for the fact that, like, Timothy Elephant was a murderer and he was, like, willing to have fun with it. And then he was just going he was just gonna use movies as violence as a self-defense, almost being like, all right, well, you say it causes it. Uh, yeah, that's what I'm going to say, too. I, I only did these murders because of the violence in the movies. And that alone is also, like, super compelling. And it's just this weird commentary that movies don't make about themselves hardly ever. Like, I don't know a movie that's so self-referential in this way. And that's, and and doing (laughs) so in a way that is fun and makes you think. And like the fact that the stab franchise, you know, on top of it. Yeah. Like they're doing in a way that's very broad, broad, but also not shoving it down your throat, which is interesting. And they do it in a way that's like not, really luxury it just makes you again ponder and think about how you feel about those kinds of things and yeah it, i just think scream 2 is wonderful i really do yeah but um we still got two more to go um and uh i definitely think that most people would put both these at the top uh we're gonna wait to the end to i, I want us to do together each of our final rankings of the four so far um, but yeah, it's, it's pretty clear that these two are towards the top, you know, uh, without a doubt. Uh, like if anyone were to put either of these at the top would have no problem with it. Um, but, um, we are going to do, uh, another episode to talk about screams three and four and then give our final rankings. So, uh, if you've listened this far, please check out the next episode episode 87 we're gonna jump right back into the scream franchise what do you think of it so far what's your ranking let us know and stay tuned for the next episode